Hello, Marvelites, and welcome to a very special bonus episode of Marvel's Pull List. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Tucker Marcus. And we are so swept up in the Spider-Man of it all, we thought, why don't we give y'all an extra special episode all about our friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. And we have a wonderful guest this week who is with us for this bonus. For this special bonus reading club, we'll be chatting with uh, Hector Navarro. Uh, you might know Hector from his work over at Nerdist, uh, various podcasts and uh, places. He is an absolute delight. Such fun to talk all about Pete with. And alongside Hector, we will be talking about a very specific slice of Spidey history. That's Amazing Spider-Man 1999 issues 57 and 58, and then legacy numbers 500 through 502. Obviously, a lot of the focus here on one of the best issues of Amazing Spider-Man of all time, Amazing Spider-Man number 500, uh, and it's all part of... Uh, Amazing Spider-Man Happy Birthday. It is a perfect time to dive into all of that. And hey, looking towards 2022, the 60th anniversary of old Petey Parker. Uh, uh, just even more reason to dive into a landmark moment for the best character in the history of fiction. Hell yeah. With that in mind, let's dive into this Amazing Spider-Man Reading Club. <laughs> Tucker, I know you're a soulless machine at times, but I hope you're ready to cry when we get into our reading club this week with our guest, Mr. Hector Navarro. Hector, welcome to the show. Guys, thank you so much for having me. It is a genuine honor. I love the show, and I'm so happy to be here and so happy to see your faces via Zoom. Yeah, we're yeah. excited. Just via context clues, I'm taking in that you're a big comic book fan. Yeah, I just got into it a few months ago. Just got into it a few months ago, started collecting, you know. Uh, no, yes, I have been since I was a child. Um, we all have different but similar origins as to how we got into it. I think for me, my first loves were comic books and then animation. And I don't know about you guys, I was born in 1987, so I was coming up in the 90s, and that was a good time for some superhero cartoon shows. Uh, there was some pretty groundbreaking and influential stuff. And I also want to shout out the 1994 Spider-Man animated show mm -hmm. came on the air when I was seven. You know, some people have that story of like, oh, I remember the first time I saw Spider-Man. I'm like, no, this, these characters were omnipresent when you grow up in the United States, when you grow up in pop culture, when you watch TV and, and stuff. So... Seeing that Spider-Man cartoon, it did exactly what it set out to do, which was get me hooked on the rest of the Marvel Universe because that show was designed to sell action figures. And boy, did they. They got a bunch from me because uh, <laughs> each episode was effectively Marvel team up. Each episode was like, now he's going to meet Daredevil. Now he's going to meet Doctor Strange. And now he's going to meet Blade. And that's actually how I learned about Blade. So I love what animation how it inspired me. I eventually went to, to school and got a degree in studying animation. And, and I also love the, the connection to the visual art form of comics and being a child of immigrants, my parents from Mexico and I was born and raised in San Diego. Um, I think I also subconsciously connected to Spider-Man because it's like, you know what? There's no skin tone on this character. I really genuinely could envision myself 
under the mask. And that's stuff I didn't even really understand until I got older. And then I kind of studied these comic book universes more and then learned about how diverse they were and learned about when they were tr- attempting to make the strides to you know be more inclusive and all of that stuff. So I'm a huge champion for that stuff. I love that stuff. I also want to say too, pre-internet, pre-internet, the thing that got me hooked on Marvel was the public library. My mom taking me to the library. I love that. You mentioned uh, animation and stuff like that. Animation is something so important, but we, you know, we talk about comics on the show, but so many of our creators yeah. are so closely tied to animation, have done work in animation or, or have that style. Like it, it bleeds so much into things that sometimes we don't even really think about or talk about. Absolutely. And I think the other thing too, is that animation made it more, made comics more cinematic for me before the movies did. So when I was reading Spider-Man comics in the nineties and started to read it, you know, month to month and following my favorite writer as I'm in middle school and high school, I'm talking about J. Michael Straczynski. And then, you know, on and on from there, I was hearing the voice actors from that Spider-Man cartoon. You know what I mean? And I was, I was, I was able to hear the sort of sound effects of like what a goblin bomb sounds like and what, you know, it's just, it just made it more cinematic. And then as the two thousands hit, they, I think Marvel shifted to make their comics across the board feel more cinematic. And because I also love movies, I mean, who doesn't love movies? And I was so influenced by them as well. I was just at that perfect age where Marvel was making things a bit more accessible, but still absolutely acknowledging and honoring their long and rich history. And then by doing stuff like the Ultimates line, oh my gosh, Ultimate Spider-Man is my jam. And I grew up with that version of Peter while still reading the Peter that we're going to talk about, who is a guy in his late 20s, who's a substitute teacher, who's a science teacher at Midtown. Like that's my favorite version of older Peter or middle-aged, middle-aged, late 20s Peter, <laughs> you know, and until probably uh, Jake Johnson's Peter B. Parker. Like that's that's become my favorite version of the adult Peter and I have many, many versions of the young Peter to choose from, whether it's Ultimate Spider-Man or the Tom Holland version or just so many versions of that 15, 16-year-old kid. But um, there's something really fun about the about the been married for a couple of years and things are still tough, Peter. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you mentioned growing up in, in San Diego and you know watching something like the Spider-Man cartoon with your buddies and things like that, were, were you part of a friend group that was into these kind of things or were you kind of like blazing the trail on your own and bringing your friends into comics and things like that? I think a little of both. I think I had friends when I was like in elementary school who of course were watching X-Men, the animated series, and we all gravitated towards that stuff. But until probably middle school, high school, where I think I became a more serious kind of like, oh, this is now my era and I can purchase my own comics and I can read comics month to month to month. And here's the other thing that helped. I'll never forget this moment, Tucker. This is one of my favorite comic book reading moments of my life. I was intimately familiar with Peter and MJ. They were my friends. I knew them. And then in 2002, the first Spider-Man movie was released. And I'll never forget, first of all, sitting in the theater and, 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 and feeling like I had waited my whole life, but I'm spoiled. I'm like 15 <laughs> years old, but I'm like, I waited forever, you know. And then the Monday after that weekend, I was in math class and two girls my age were sitting behind me talking about Peter Parker and Mary Jane Watson. And I was like, mm. the world has changed. The world has changed in a way where I think I think that for me was the indicator of like everybody that's sort of my generation and older talks about how being a comic book fan is being on the fringe. 
And I felt like after that weekend, I'm like, no, it's different. Now this is as much accepted pop culture as sports or TV. You know, it's just like, it's just another thing that people can, can be passionate about. So, um, but I did have a great group of friends in high school that we absolutely all were reading comics and collecting action figures and, you know, talking about what kinds of movies we would make based off the comics and all that kind of stuff. And then we ended up a lot of the times being right. Uh, the Hollywood finally caught up to us, you know, <laughs> they finally caught up to us. <laughs> uh, you know, we're talking about this run. We're, we'll get into that in a second and how it's kind of Peter in his late twenties. And I remember being 10, 11 must've been 11 reading Spider-Man comics and the 30th anniversary issues of Spider-Man were coming out. And I think it was the 30th anniversary of, regular adjectiveless spider-man and it had at the end a big 30th birthday party for peter and they gave him a big cake and stuff and it was just now you know like the sliding scale of time and trying to figure out all that stuff and you i, I think they they didn't even think this could go on past 30 years and it's just fascinating and seeing how important it is now to anyone over generations and we're we're marching on to 60th anniversary of spider-man in in just a, a couple of months it's it's wild it's really really fun yeah um but this issue this reading club is all about amazing spider-man issues 57 and 58 and then 500 through 502 we are skipping 400 no 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 we're not skipping 400 <laughs> issues we um the uh the way it went for anyone who doesn't know is um, we had re you know, sort of rebooted Spider-Man the amazing Spider-Man title in 1999, new creative team and all that stuff. And over the subsequent five years, it updated and changed and JMS Joe, Michael Straczynski and John Romita Jr. Among others came on. And so um, they were getting up to the uh, close to 60 and realized, well, legacy numbering wise, we're going to hit 500 issues of amazing Spider-Man, which, Is also like, you don't count the annuals, you don't count the specials, you don't count all the stuff, but it's fine. 500 numerical issues, and so they they joined back into the numbering, which would have been issue number 59 is effectively issue number 500. The story does continue into 500, which is sort of, it's a huge climax. And this is from, um, there's a collection of this called Amazing Spider-Man Happy Birthday. And Mm -hmm. you, you could get away with 57, 58, and 500. And like effectively, if that was all you did, it's still such a rock solid story. But then 501 and 502 are reminders that JMS and Johnny Jr. are so freaking good. Yeah. Let's be real. What we're really talking about is issue 500 and the sort of little bit of story that takes place right before and then right after. Mm -hmm. And that's such a huge milestone issue. I remember when issue 600 came out, 700, it just made me feel old because I'm like, wait, what? But 500's the, you know, that's the one. And um, this issue to me is a perfect issue of Spider-Man. It is a perfect Spider-Man story. It moves me. It makes me cry. And I may cry talking about it with you, handsome gentlemen. So be one. <laughs> I love tears. Uh, I also love this creative team. It's, uh, as we mentioned, J. Michael Straczynski, penciled by John Romita Jr. There's some John Romita Sr. art, which that will crush you and destroy you in all the best ways. And that's an issue 500 colors by Avalon's Dan Kemp inks by Scott Hanna letters by VCs, Randy Gentile. And uh, this run was edited by Axel Alonzo, who had a great run during this time period for Marvel. I would like to talk about that era and a little bit of the context because it was, it was really, really special and cool. And I think that the 90s Marvel being what it was, it was insane. There was a lot of insanity happening, bunch of clones. We know this. 
And I, looking back on it as an adult, I realized I feel I felt like it was editorial and Marvel maybe trying stuff because here's the deal, Tucker. I was born, like I said, in 87. That was the same year that Peter Parker and Mary Jane Watson married. So since I have been in existence, <laughs> they were a married couple. So then here comes J. Michael Straczynski. And what I think he did was just decided to focus on their relationship as a married couple and make them real and do less comic book plot drama like, oh, you know, Mary Jane was kidnapped and her plane exploded. So now she's maybe dead and Peter has to go find like less of that and more of like, hey, let's talk about what we want our future to be. And let's talk about how we're there for one another and how can I support you and how can you support me? And, you know, how can we build each other up? And I love you this much. And I have to tell you that I love you. And it's very important. And all that stuff became couples goals for me. And I think that that sophistication eventually up to this point, you know, Straczynski was building back their relationship as though they were, they were estranged a little bit. They were, they were a little separated, but they were married still. And so he kind of brought them back together. And I think that as it was very impressionable for me as a young kid to read this because I went, oh, this is what married life should be. And not only that, but the timing of it to put Peter back into a teaching position which was so brilliant and so full circle. I just want to add to that context. This is two years into three years into JMS's comic book work, roughly. Um, but he's done a he has about two years or so under his belt on Amazing Spider-Man. Out of he writes about eighty issues of Spidey from you know Amazing and to some of the other titles, all told. So he's about two ish two years into his run and and like. From the get, he is just crazy good. Mm, um, but this, you can see him like sort of in fine fighting form in this uh, in this run right here. So that's a little bit more context. I just want to throw that there. This is my first time reading these issues. Yes, and I was hoping yeah. you were going to say that. I was hoping. Tucker. So yeah. Great. Tucker. hundred <laughs> percent. So I, I, yeah, I obviously I'd read JMS, like various periods of JMS Spidey before. Um, but this is the first time I was really diving into to, to like – this era, I guess. And that is something I love talking about and love thinking about because I think, I don't know, it, it also does flash to mind what you said, Hector, about this era feeling like, I don't know, it, definitely more cinematic and, and a certain kind of leap forward in just maturity in terms of, um, it's interesting, especially now, I, I, I sort of couldn't separate myself from the sort of meta con- context of it all. Um, you know, reading like reading the story and being so invested in the story, obviously, but then also at every turn, keeping an eye on like where we were in time uh, in the time of Marvel Comics, in the time of the creators, the people responsible for making these, and then the broader world that they live in. Because looking back in hindsight now, it really is fascinating. I, mean, I think we talk a lot about Civil War on this show and right from the very beginning, like with one of our first reading clubs talking with Tom Brevoort about that and getting his on the ground floor perspective of the making of that story and the influences that literally affected him every single day in like a post 9-11 New York um, as one of the, the, the big architects of that story and how, you know, that, that feels like a, a really, that feels like obviously such a touchdown moment for so many different reasons. But looking at this, I sort of, you see it coming in a way, you know what I mean? You see that like mature level storytelling, you see the, 
the imagery that's like, you know, even in maybe 50, like in the second issue, like in 50, um, 58, maybe like you, you're, you're getting glimpses of imagery that is like very potent imagery, especially at the time of New York city, uh, uh, it, it, you know, destroyed of like fire and smoke and buildings crumbling and, and so many of those different things. So it's really interesting to see it in terms of like a prelude to whatever, to what I at least think of as such a, a landmark moment with something like Civil War, which maybe, maybe just even maybe just has a little bit of outsized um, uh, influence in my mind just because of what that story has become, you know, now 15 years later, just in the broader to the, to the world. Um, uh, but it's really fascinating to see this as part of that broader lineage another moment that i just adore from the straczynski spider-man run is that peter parker while he's teaching at this high school he deals with a school shooter and that's the kind of thing that it is a reality of our lifetime but i don't think our parents lifetimes Mm -hmm. so that was something that felt so modern marvel again i'm reading it and i'm like this is now this is us this is this is something that they're not using a metaphor they're directly talking about stuff that happens in the news and it's unfortunately still relevant to this day and the other great thing about that particular issue and moment is that when when peter who is so enraged at what is happening this you know goes into the spider-man guys puts his costume on and he's going to go deal with this shooter the shooter's a kid and that's the other added element of like oh my gosh straczynski's not just pulling stuff from the news and not just, you know, there's so much nuance to these comic book stories while still being accessible that I, again, I was in high school, middle school reading this stuff and I got it and it affected me. So beautiful work all around. And um, yeah, it's really cool that you, that you're thinking about that sort of broader context. And, and I want to say too, the reason I love this story so much is because I feel like Straczynski wrote it as a series finale to Peter Parker, (laughs) Spider-Man. He wrote it as like issue 500, and 501, 502 could really be the last Spider-Man stories ever. And it would almost be okay. Right. And I'm very happy that he kept going because, hey, talk about Civil War, the Spider-Man Straczynski Civil War stuff, awesome. And then after that, Back in Black, <laughs> so good. Very, very good, gentlemen. It's a, it's a good read. But <laughs> this series finale, the fact that they brought back Ramita Sr., he, he talks to Uncle Ben, it's just perfect. It's perfect and has has affected me where I take it with me in my life. I think about how I am with my loved ones. I think about what I want to say to them and how I want to be with them so that I never have to feel like I just want five minutes from Dr. Strange after they're gone. You know, like it honestly has affected me to that level and probably shaped the kind of person I want to be. Certainly his entire Straczynski run and Peter Parker's characterization has shaped me as like, I'm like, I want to be that kind of man. You know, the, that kind of husband, that kind of, I'm not married yet, hope to be someday, but but that kind of an individual. And he's still funny and self-deprecating and, you know, and and but he just gets back up and it's just, it's it's perfect Spidey. Yeah. yeah. Um, one of the reasons it's a perfect Spidey story uh, is John Romita Jr. One of the greatest of all time. If me, I, it's, I, I go over this a lot in my head thinking about Johnny's contributions to not just Marvel, but to comics in general, John Romita Jr. over the course of a career that started with an amazing Spider-Man story in 1977, he has drawn about 155 issues of Spider-Man of varying lengths of, of, 
you know, some issues are shorter, some have, you know, are, are partial stories, whatever it is, but about 150 overall spiders, Spider-Man stories from spectacular to amazing to adjectiveless, whatever it is, but that's an incredible thing. And then, you know, from Marvel itself, he's, God, he's uh, 400 and some odd issues, probably f- close to 500 issues, somewhere in there. I would say, and, and I don't even know if all my data is exactly correct, but his his breadth of work is so good. And then to see him here, it looks, it looks effortless, but as someone, you know, is putting all the effort in, it's one of those things where it's, it's sort of, um, it's like a magic trick the way John Romita Jr. Draws superheroes and Spider-Man and, and yeah. And Dr. Strange and, (laughs) and all of it. Um, he can take every single moment and make it feel important, whether it's, Spider-Man sitting down or like Peter sitting down and reflecting or Spidey going through some of his, you know, greatest hits and and biggest misses and all kinds of moments. It's, it's hard to, to encapsulate in just, you know, a couple of sound bites, how important John Romita Jr. is to Marvel, to comics and to this storyline. It's just, it is amazing. 100%. I think that Romita Jr. growing up, being a Marvel kid, you know, seeing his dad work on the stuff, also being a New Yorker. I think that this particular story arc is a perfect example of why Ramita is so good. I like to describe his stuff as clean, just clean, almost like an animation style, mm-hmm. almost like they are storyboards for a really beautifully animated and fluid, you know, uh, uh, animated show or movie or whatever. And it's so fluid because his his work is so dynamic. But I also want to point out him being a New Yorker, him having that perspective, the grandpa character in issue 502, the tailor, Leo Zelinsky, is, I think, a great example of why Romita is so good. Because, yes, his Peter Parker is really handsome and, and his Spider-Man it always springs into action and looks so cool. And I love the way he draws the web pattern on the suit. And I love the way he draws the webs. And I love the way he draws Mary Jane and Aunt May and everybody, all of our favorite cast members. But it's those little asides with New Yorkers that are John Romita Jr.'s like, Mwah. like, it's so perfect when... When Peter's climbing up a wall and there's a guy like drinking coffee, like those kinds of, you know, New Yorker moments that I think he brings to this arc and this run is my favorite stuff. And Leo Zelinsky, he's like a real guy to me. You know, he sounds real and he looks real and his grandson and his tailor shop and the way that he takes Peter to a diner and, you know, or Peter takes him and he's like, hey, it's it's fine. He just thinks that I'm it's just a crazy guy dressed as Spider-Man. Hey, I'm Spider-Man, right? Yeah, you're Spider-Man, whatever you say, you know. Those those kinds of moments, I think Straczynski was setting up for Ramita Jr. to just spike it because they're perfect New York comedy moments and they're a part of Spider-Man's DNA. Uh, but I think that nobody does it better than John Ramita Jr. Yeah. And looking at it, especially this story and, and he has to lean into the Steve Ditko of it all. You really see John, who, yes, he grew up with his father, John Ramita Sr., one of the greatest Spider-Man artists of all time. But Johnny's work leans more into Ditko's in a lot of, especially the way his Spider-Man moves and that lankiness and that sort of like Mm -hmm. weirdness is, it makes me so happy to see it. It's just so cool. Yeah. He's a skinny guy. It's great. (laughs) (laughs) I, I was so, obviously I was so moved by that, by the story. Tucker, did you cry? Did you cry? (laughs) Uh, You know what? Not this time. I got to be honest. Um, uh, okay. last time that happened was beta ray bill number one, 2021 for the record. Wow. 
Um, uh, I will just take any opportunity I can to shut that book out. But um, no, not not not. Uh, maybe it was just me because it definitely wasn't the story that wasn't listen, bringing it. It was listen. It was incredible. What if we talk about the, what if we talk through the story and get you to cry <laughs> thinking about it? That I would consider that a win. Let's try that. It's it is really unbelievable though how JMS cuts through. And I mean, Hector, like you, you were talking about it, like, you, you know, reading this makes you think about like, oh, I want to be like Spidey. Like, I want to be like him as a yeah. person, like how he cuts through the medium, cuts through what you're reading and just makes you think about your life. Like he makes you think about real stuff, not in a way that's like, I don't know, like referential or surface level or, or, or anything like no, that. But real. like he makes you think about your relationships. He makes you think about the people you care about. He makes you think about those moments. He really puts you in the suit where it's like, if I had, you know, this time left, what would I do? What would it feel like? It's just so instantaneous and it's so unbelievably good in that way. And it, it, it's it, like I, what I kept thinking about, though, was as I was reading it, knowing that. 500 comes in the midst of this this arc um was like there's sort of the the emotional side of me this is just this is i mean this is some Let's like therapy stuff here I, there's Tucker. like the emotional side of my brain and i'm very good at separating that from the logical side of my brain oddly appropriate for this discussion as ryan introduced and said like i know you could be a, a, a logic bot sometimes absolutely true um Ryan's learned a thing or two about me after 200 of these episodes. Hey, but listen, even, <laughs> even Spock could cry, okay? So yes. we're going to get you there. So so but like so there's the emotional side of my brain that's so invested in the story and just right there alongside it and so pulled into those moments that I was just talking about. And then there's the logical side of my brain that I'm just thinking like well what what are you going to do? Issue 500. Like let's go. You know what I mean? Like that's a big this is a big yes. this is a big mantle for you to step onto just as a creator, as a writer, as a creative. Um, and how do, what are they gonna do? Like what is the big choice they're gonna make? What's the exciting choice they're gonna make? And that's something that I'm kind of constantly thinking about whenever we happen upon a big legacy issue kind of landmark or whatever. Um but yeah, it does it's, it's, the, it's, it's almost Tucker, I love the way you set that up because it's almost I think issue five hundred is a victory lap. Mm. It's 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 and it's also such a perfect premise and a comic booky premise, but Straczynski knows not to focus on the plot. The 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 premise being we have to find a way for Spider Man to relive his greatest hits, and that also includes his greatest lows, his biggest emotional moments and how are we gonna come up with that? Oh well let's do the other Ditko guy, Doctor Strange, duh. Doctor Strange comes in. And that's what's so great about this Straczynski Spider-Man is that like he just sees the lightning flashing from his house and he knows he needs to go check it out. We don't know what the heck's happening. We don't know the details of the Avengers Mm. showed up and then this happened and then this. The Fantastic Four then said this. Reed said this. It doesn't matter. Peter is the everyman and he's seeing it from the outside and he just knows he's going to go help people. He's going to go help people. And it's a perfect premise to allow Spider-Man to get mixed up with Doctor Strange. And again, I love when these two team up because of that Steve Ditko connection. I think I think creators love to put pair them together because of that, because their hands are just the same thing on <laughs> you know opposite sides. And then to go through those emotional moments is also a beautiful, beautiful way for Straczynski to, like you said, Tucker, make you think about the people that you love, make you think about your own life. Because as we're going through these greatest hits, and Peter's greatest victories, and he's constantly fighting Sandman and Electro and the Lizard and the Vulture and all these characters over and over and over again. Um, 
and then continuing to get up, having been beaten down over and over and over again. And he's feeling it every time. It's not a dream sequence. It's real. He's really reliving it. And then he has to confront Betty Brant when her brother died. And then he has to confront him lifting that famous, I mean, Amazing 33, that huge contraption so that he can save Aunt May. And then the worst of it is Gwen. And the way this Straczynski just so, this whole story is so efficient, right? Three issues, but really even just the one issue by itself, 500, is so efficient storytelling where he just says, I can catch her. I can be faster this time. I can hit it straighter this time. I can, I can, no, no, Gwen, not this time, not this time. And then she still has to die. And after he just gives up and Doctor Strange convinces him, dude, you have to keep going. Peter is questioning it all. He's asking himself some questions. And then he finally says, bring it on. And he keeps going. And that's Peter. And so when he has been brought through the ultimate ringer and gets to the end, and when he is given that gift by Doctor Strange, that little box, that little magical Doctor Strange, you know, uh, impossible box, and he's talking to Ben, when Ben tells him, have you ever backed down? Have you ever not stood up for something you believed in? And when Peter says, no, I haven't. You believe it because you just saw it. Mm -hmm. You know, you just refreshed your memory of why this character is so perfect. And to have him tell Uncle Ben to his face, like, ultimately, I have no regrets. And ultimately, I, you know, that's so powerful. And then the biggest, I mean, again, I can cry just thinking about it. I'm going to try to stop myself. (laughs) (laughs) But um, not only bringing in Ramita Sr. to draw these few pages of Uncle Ben talking to him and, and stuff, but... To have Straczynski go, if this was real, this is not a clone, this is not a robot, this is not a comic book thing, this is actually if Doctor Strange could somehow conjure the spirit of deceased Ben Parker and bring him to Peter's life on this night, what would Ben say is even more important than what Peter says. Because Peter is just us and he's just like, I have so many things I want to tell you, I miss you, I love you. And Ben cuts through it all and Peter even tries to apologize for the whole thing. He tries to, and I'm tearing up right now. He tries to tell him, I wasn't there for you. And Ben just goes, we all mess up sometimes. What? Ben just forgave Peter Parker for the (laughs) sin, the original sin, the original, original sin, not the original sin, original sin, but (laughs) but the fact that Peter's entire character existence is based on him thinking that he wasn't there for his uncle and his uncle's death is on him. And Ben just goes, don't worry about it. We all make mistakes. It's okay. But more importantly, Peter, are you happy? That cuts to the core of me like nothing else. And it is, it is, I can't even describe how great it is. And it's such a, just such a beautiful moment shared between them that I feel like, I don't know. It's, it's difficult to describe. One of the things that really got me is the first time, the first time reading it now, since I've had a child is Oh, feeling Ryan. that as a Ryan. parent and <laughs> and knowing that I will forgive my child for any like she has nothing to like she can probably stab me and I'll be like we all make mistakes yeah it, it's gonna happen <laughs> she yesterday she hit me in the face because she was really like upset because I wouldn't let her play with our fireplace as we were starting a fire <laughs> and I was just like it's okay let's go upstairs let's get your let's get Baba Aww. and bring Baba down and, and everything will be fine and it's like when reading that as a, a parent knowing that Ben is like, that's Peter is Ben's son. May is, you know, may is his mom. And it's, it's really important to look at it from that perspective. Uh, as I did just recently, I was like, 
Yes, I fully get it. And I think that's such a beautiful moment on top of everything you've said. I think when I read it now with a, a new lens, it's it's still, it's even better. It's even better. Um, I, I will give a little bit more context for the cosmic Michigas that's going on <laughs> and sort of the, the, the scene setting, because I think the first issue, 57, is really fun in you you know it's like it's peter's birthday and uh we're leading up to it and he's he's having all this trouble with this teacher at school and they're, there's uh, this back and julie. forth julie julie at work friggin julie <laughs> uh, and you get you get you get a, a great slice of life for who peter parker is you get a little bit of him and may and mj you get uh married you get Peter and MJ together and like a little bit of sexiness and, and like you can see their love coming through. Then you get that moment where he, he sees the lightning and the red flash and it's like, gotta go. And it felt so you, you are reading a Spider-Man story in the midst of what could have been a giant crossover. You know, yeah. it felt like this is, this could have been a new secret wars because the, um, the, uh, or, or secret wars or infinity or whatever it was, the, um, mindless ones are an infiltrating New York city. And I love a good mindless one story. Cause they just are scary looking and they're weird. And then all the heroes are coming and you got a single X-Men, you got C- Cyclops like yeah. pulling off his, <laughs> his dress shirt. Cause for some reason he's just, you know, in New York city at this time. Um, and he gets involved. I don't think he even has a spoken line, which I love. I want to know uh, someday we'll have to talk to Johnny about was it Cyclops in the script or did you just want to draw Cyclops again? Cause he doesn't even speak in the book. Um, and you get all this stuff and there's a little bit of explanation from Reed Richards of like, this is how we solve it. And you got Thor and Iron Man and all them. And it's, uh, the doctor strange comes in to, you know, because it's a Doctor Strange level villain with Dormammu and all this stuff. But that really is just for us to see how Spider-Man fits into the Marvel universe. That's it. And and it's so good because even though he says like he's kind of out of his depth and he doesn't know what he's doing, he still fights. He still goes side by side with the thing with, you know, he's talking with Thor. He's there with the biggest brains because he is one of the biggest brains there's so much that he saves julie he saves julie which i love is, that right? moment how great was that mm-hmm. that's peter's life that old parker luck and he's so mad at it and he's chewing up his molars and it's it's like the worst that joke capper oh. on him you know great joke but but peter will always save that person even if they're a huge jerk it's uh yeah he just goes down and mixes it up with the mindless ones with the thing like if he's in the same weight class as the thing but you know, know. he's there and Ben Grimm appreciates the backup so it's uh yeah it's awesome yeah and then that allows us to get into this really cool time travel-y sort time travel-y sort of story which opens with Peter seeing his past and a possible future which yeah one that future version of Peter Parker we could have we could eat on that for weeks you could give us a 12 issue series just on what did he do what was his relationship with this cop what was going on with what happened with him and mj having a child how did he build this new amazing suit that suit which has then inspired and shown up i think it showed up in spider-verse worn by a peter uh, uh, an uncle ben spider-man yes that's correct that's right that's right so good yeah. There's so much, so much to dig into around every single part of this. 
Yeah, for sure. It's uh, That suit's my favorite alternate Spider-Man suit. When people ask me, what's your favorite Spidey suit? I go, well, classic red and blue first. It's it's the perfect superhero costume. And then I throw that curveball of like, then there's this suit with the like reversible jacket, which is the coolest thing ever. And another reason I wanted to include issue number 502, because Leo Zielinski, what he goes through, how his grandson asks him to do the right thing once he learns about his client kill shot, it's going to hurt somebody and kill somebody, is... Um, is is it's so perfect Peter Parker as well because all Leo does is just do what he can and he's not a superhero but he does the right thing and then I love how he takes a bullet for his grandson again it's emotional that he that this old guy jumps and you know of course you would do anything for your grandson he would do anything for him and when it's all over he hands the design to Spidey and it makes you it made me feel like then that has to be what happens then this future version of Spidey in a lot of ways is my official canon whether it's just an a, a possible alternate future or what have you you know but with peter this moment also where he is he knows his younger self is behind the gravestone aunt may's gravestone and he's talking to his younger self while also just sort of talking to himself and he's just you know psyching himself up for going to die you know going out clean as he describes it um he says it's going to be better this way for mj and for our son whose name is ben but it pretty much had to have been Ben. Of course it's it? Ben. Of course it's Ben. And and you're just like, oh my God, what is happening? I thought this was just an anniversary issue. I thought this was just going to be fun. <laughs> Straczynski, what are you doing to me, man? And and the, the beautiful thing about that future story is that JMS ties it to, okay, I'm going to give Peter, our Peter, current Peter, the opportunity to erase everything. And he's there in the closet at the you know radioactive exhibit whatever it is, and he sees the spider coming down and he could web it out of the way so that that spider never bites 15-year-old Peter. And he says to himself, I could save Uncle Ben. Gwen Stacy will never have had to die. But then he stops and he goes, but every single other person I saved will die, including probably even Julie was just saved by the mindless ones, you know, like that level of civilian life and people that Spidey has saved. And so he asks for forgiveness. He goes, forgive me, Ben. And he doesn't do it. And he lets everything happen the way it happened. And then guess what? Turns out he didn't need the forgiveness from Uncle Ben. <laughs> mm. mm-hmm. Hector, you mentioned, I think, did you mention you were reading these weekly when they were coming yeah. out? What Do you remember like that actual first time of, I, of reading I, this? I do remember. Um, I just remember the effect it had on me. Like I can't place where I was, you know, where in the day, when I where I got the comic or whatever. But I do remember holding that great, issue number 500 with that awesome wraparound cover by J. Scott Campbell with all of the villains. And then almost to like also show up and show off, John Romita Jr. does basically the same thing in the book with that amazing two-page spread oh. where where right after Peter says, bring it on, and he just fights all the, you know, it's this, it's this Where's Waldo of like every single yeah. villain almost, including some of the newer ones from the Straczynski run. You had Moreland, who was a Straczynski co-invention, um, Digger, I think, is the like the mob boss that was comprised of different mob bosses, like a Frankenstein body guy, and 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 so it was. It's yeah, I I do remember um, following it month to month when these issues are coming out, and having this entire Marvel universe leading up to, while also reading again, while also reading Ultimate Spider Man with a young Peter, and that really became my version of what Peter was like when he was 16 years old, when he was 15 years old, you know, because I love the Stan Lee and Steve Ditko 
books, but they are of a Peter who's living in the 1960s. You know, it's a very different thing than, than to give it to a kid who's growing up in the early 2000s and being like, also, this is you. And um, and then all of that build up, built up cinematically, as you guys were saying, really to Civil War. And even before then with House of M happening and, and Bendis going from the Ultimate Line to revamping the Avengers, I was there for that. So that really became my Avengers era that I'm reading as Avengers were first disassembled, broke my heart, fell in love with Hawkeye, fell in love with, you know, Scott Lang right before he got obliterated. And then House of N brought these characters back and, you know, um, I was there for all of these major events going through Secret Invasion, Siege, and, you know, I may not be as current as I was in those years in my teens and 20s these days, but I still feel such a connection to this era and it all feels modern and it all feels like, this is what's happening now. This is the end game. And yet I'm so happy that Marvel has really embraced that next generation. Like you were saying, Ryan, the next generation of characters. And I am so thrilled that Miles Morales exists because he is awesome and his stories are on another level. And I, I used to feel as though Peter Parker should exist forever. I got to grow up with Peter. You know, I got to grow up with Spider-Man and have my own Spider-Man era and the generations before us got to do the same thing. And he's such a fantastic character. But now I think about even something like this, like issue number 500, like your time is finite and that makes it special. And if someday Marvel were to really definitively, conclusively go, okay, Peter's story is done. He is now for real moving to Portland with his pregnant wife. He is now honestly going to retire. Um, I would be okay with it. Because I know that Marvel, with great power comes great responsibility, will continue to tell stories that every young person can attach themselves to and say, this is my era, this is my Marvel. Um, yeah, it makes me really, really, really happy. I want to talk about uh, uh, In the Park with May. Uh, yeah, I'm glad uh, you brought that up. In the Park with mm -hmm. May. Uh, just want to say, I love this issue so much. Um, it is the perfect epilogue or like 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 a like a nice after dessert coffee you know from issue number 500 to just take a breath to take a breather and this is also a great gut punch too because the reveal for this one where may parker spends a day by herself you know walking around new york city dealing with a jerk at the phone store which was awesome um, I love that moment because it, it you were talking about New York moments, Hector, and, and that yes. felt like such a classic New York moment where there's this idiot on the phone and he's just yap, yap, yapping his friggin' mouth off and everybody's annoyed by him. And, and May, you know, she moves to get something out of her bag and it knocks him over like he and then he gets right in her face and she just stares at him like, yeah, what are you going to do? She's yeah. not afraid of him. She's seen worse. She's dealt with worse. And then he's just like, and he storms yeah. out. Oh, it's tremendous. <laughs> it's such a great, you moment. know, what the frick was that friggin' accident? <laughs> like, uh, great. And, and that kind of thing too make me feel with, with what May's describing this whole time as though she is even inspired by Peter and his example and how, what he does to try to help people. And maybe not even Peter just as Spider-Man and doing the super heroic way of saving people, but just like being a good person and doing what you can. And so this, Leading into the issue 502, the Leo Zielinski thing, same sort of feeling of like what you can do with your own ability, with you, with whatever you have, your own resources to help someone, to save a life, to silence a jerk at a phone store, and then everybody else clapped for Aunt May, and then she went about her day. You should do it. 
you should do it, you know? And, and, and I think that Peter Parker would have been a good person and would have been a hero, even if he was never bitten by a spider. And we've seen versions of that and we've seen, you know, um, um, takes on that. But, um, I, I do love that reveal at the end where May spends every Saturday doing her own thing. And at the end, she's talking to the graves of Ben and Richard and Mary. And if that's not another, like JMS, again, I just finished crying (laughs) with the last issue, dude, what are you doing to me? Um, it's it's beautiful and and she says this is this is what she does every like this is what she does she comes to talk to them every yeah. weekend which i think is also heartbreaking and sweet now tucker as you you had read this for the first time did you see that reveal coming was it a surprise because for me i was like i don't know i, I must have just remembered it from having read it years ago but I i knew what who she was talking to the whole time what was it for you Oh, total surprise! Yeah, nice. I definitely didn't know. I mean, it, it was one of the, it's it's a, that that perfect thing and that the thing that I referenced so many times that I gotta like come up with a name for it or something where it's simultaneously surprising and obvious. Where it's just there's like, gotta oh, be a German for. word for it, <laughs> right? Like some a sort of German thirty word. letter word. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, uh, I think yeah. it's I think it's uh, surprising. <laughs> so that's what it is. You know. Yeah, shocking it, it, and obvious. Yeah, where it was like. You know, of course, I mean, especially as exactly like you were saying, Hector, like a follow up to this really big, like oversized issue 500. Um, Yeah, it's just so perfect. And it's like it's perfect as well because it's just a slightly different angle on the whole like Spider-Man mythos and and, and a super important one as well. So it's it's almost like I, I, I just reading 500 especially just got me thinking about those issues that are just love letters to Spider-Man. And this one's yeah. kind of a love letter to Aunt May in the same way. And it's sort of like, yeah, we're all taking our time to celebrate Spidey issue 500. That's a huge landmark, but like, let us not forget to give Aunt May her due as well. And yeah. you know, that's such a crucial part of everything that Spider-Man's ever been. It, it's funny. Cause I, I, it got me thinking about issue 500 and there's, I don't know, there's a sort of, I don't know, there's like a special reading club or something like that. Ryan is about those one-off issues that are just meant to, I mean, obviously there's a, a sort of prelude lead in story for 500 and, and, and the sort of landmark anniversary issues are sort of are their own thing. But like reading 500 made me think of, um, Dan's last issue of Amazing Spider-Man 701 with Marcos Martin. And it made me think about um, maybe a slightly lesser known one, but still recent. uh, Chip Zdarsky wrote and uh, illustrated uh, Peter Parker's Spectacular Spider-Man 310, which was his last issue on um, that pretty short run, a a great run that I love. Um, That is just the same sort of thing. It's like a one and done, fully encapsulated story that is just like, this is why... I love Spider-Man. This is what Spider-Man means to me. And it was really, yeah, it was, it was cool. And I actually went back and reread those other ones just cause I was just feeling it after, yeah. after doing this. I, yeah. Those are, those are usually, I think Spidey fans favorite issues are not the ones where it's like, Oh man, him versus Dr. Doom epic, you know, or him finally facing off against Doc Ock. It's not that it's before issue 500. I felt like I had read a lot of uh, stuff growing up. I remember a like top, 10 or greatest Marvel stories from like a wizard magazine uh, 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 feature where their pick for the best Spider-Man I think was maybe where he goes up against the juggernaut, but there was definitely a mention of the kid who collects Mm Spider-Man, that single issue, that heartbreaking, you know, that's another one that just thinking about it, just describing it to somebody 
I can burst into tears and it's so beautiful. And it's like, it's, it's, it's because Peter is so human, probably more human than any other superhero comic book character. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Just tears, just the kid who collects <laughs> Spider-Man. But, um, uh, I also, uh, think that, um, to have Peter be able to talk to Ben at the end of 500 and have it be real and we're reading this and we're experiencing it and it's moving and Ben Parker, you know, tells him, I'm, I'm happy for you. I'm glad that you're happy and, and, and I love you and I miss you. And then he disappears. The very next issue, May is talking to Ben. And you know what? That's just as real. Mm-hmm. That is just as real. Her talking to Ben Parker every week, just because there's no spirit conjured by Dr. Strange shenanigans. It doesn't mean that May isn't actually talking to Ben. And that Ben isn't somehow hearing it. And it's, you know, it's, it's beautiful and relatable and, and, um, and human. So, yeah. And, and, and talking about Tucker, you mentioned giving May her due. Straczynski does this throughout his entire run. He focuses on these supporting characters. There's so many moments that made Mary Jane, my favorite comic book supporting character of all time. One of my favorite characters, period, because of the writing behind J. Michael Straczynski's run you know um love these characters they're fully fleshed out people and and when i was a kid my mom used to used to say to kind of tease me she'd be like hector you know these aren't real right you know these people are not real uh just to keep me grounded you know just to keep me aware of 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 my obsessiveness but and she was right but at the same time like j michael straczynski john romita jr these are real people who worked on this and they're tapping into real human emotions and then putting that in a story for me to experience you know Stan Lee and Roger Stern and and Todd McFarlane, all these guys were real and are real. And and all of the 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 men and women and people who worked on Spider-Man throughout the decades are trying to tap into some real emotional truths that you can take with you if you choose. So yes, Peter Parker is not a real guy, but the meaning behind him is real. And the the sentiment with great power comes great responsibility is real and it's powerful and it's important to to um it's important to try to be a good person and spider-man's the best easiest example that i can point to when i try to argue that reading comic books make you a better person (laughs) well said well said Uh, i want to add one thing about the doctor strange little gift box moment i love that there's no fanfare that he gives us he gives peter this little trinket and says you know it's like you'll know it you'll experience it when when you need to whatever the the line is and it's not something that's paid off 50 issues down the line it's not some big big MacGuffin thing it is just just a a beautiful moment that warms peter and is important and cathartic and special for him um and it's not it, it doesn't need to mean more for the greater you know universe it is just an important little bit there that just happens. I think that is really great storytelling. Um, and then I also wanted to throw in some more context around the time that this came out, because I was just looking, this was released in sort of the end of October 20, uh, of 2003. And so I, for myself, I was just starting or I'd been at Wizard Magazine for a little while, but we are um, about a year away from Avengers uh, Disassembled coming out. Um, we're like, 50 issues into daredevil so bendis and and mac and and malieve are like crushing it at this time we've got uh exiles in like three years into a really great run hulk gray number one and number two come out the same month which so those good. are really good 
Um, new X-Men is is pretty deep into the run, starting to ramp up towards towards the big uh, finale, which is so good. Um, you've got there's oh Thor Vikings is being published at this time, which if anybody has not read it, it is not available on Marvel Unlimited because it's Max because of extreme violence, but it is <laughs> it is Garth Ennis and Glenn Fabry doing Thor versus zombie unkill un like undefeatable uh zombie Vikings, and it's so good. It is so good and so disgusting. Um, you've got uh, Ultimate Spider Man four years into its run. Um, Ecstatics is about a year into its run. There's some really cool, cool stuff happening at this time at Marvel. Uh, do you guys remember the part in the book where Leo Zelinsky's like, you should have a mouth hole so that you can eat. <laughs> and then, and then Peter goes home and he's like in the mirror and he puts his mask on and he like punches a little <laughs> mouth hole into his mask, but then he just sees venom, you know, and he's like, I'm not going to do that. And then he's sitting, just like lying in bed. This is what I'm talking about. You know, it's so human and so funny lying in bed with the mask on. And MJ's just like, no more coffee for you, Peter. And he's like, I'm hip. I'm good. Just wired, you know, from being Spider-Man. That's yeah. married life, guys. That's what it's about. I imagine. I don't know. I'm not married. So we'll Ryan, see. Ryan, tell us. Is that what it's like? 100%. Man, yep. one of my favorite things is Spider-Man eating upside down with his mask up. There's a mm-hmm. Todd McFarlane drawing from – it's probably – regular spider-man where he's webbed up a bunch of donuts and he's he's just hanging out and the way todd drew spidey eating donuts is one of my favorite things it's one of those (laughs) really esoteric things but man it's i i I gotta find an image of that because it's so good so great yeah that should be a poster in the kitchen yeah it makes you hungry yeah i feel guys i feel like i failed you because i didn't make tucker cry yet let me try again what (laughs) is not gonna happen do you remember the part where Shaker, the villain Shaker, was just getting his butt whooped by Peter, and he's in the pool, and then the water keeps hitting him, and then he had to quit? No, nothing? Okay. Yeah, that was not the emotional tearjerker moment. Okay, I understand. Uh, shout out to producer Jasmine, who in our Slack channel has sent exactly one of the images I was thinking about. Peter with donuts. Um, he's used, He's got donuts uh, to on his fingers that he's using his spider powers to hold the donuts upside down. Oh. and he's munching on them i freak i love it so much i looked at these issues so much as a kid yeah and then these webbed the box of donuts <sighs> gorgeous <laughs> gorgeous stuff oh uh and jasmine says go check out it's spider-man number 13 which is which is the issue in which spidey's eating donuts for everybody out there um that run of spider-man by mcfarlane I, some of my favorites. I remember there's a Wolverine, Wendigo, Spider-Man whole story, what? which blew what? my mind. Some of the coolest Spider-Man ever is anytime Todd McFarlane does anything with yeah. Spidey. It's just so, so cool. <laughs> um, yeah, tough to beat. Tough yeah. to beat that stuff. Yeah. Um, awesome. Well, Hector, where uh, where can our listeners check you out, find out more of your, your uh, excited opinions about Spider-Man and Marvel, SpongeBob SquarePants, and so much more. <laughs> Those are the same thing. Those yeah. go together. No, they don't. Uh, <laughs> currently hosting a great podcast for Nickelodeon. I'm co-hosting it with uh, my pal Frankie Grande, who's fantastic. It's called SpongeBob Binge Pants. And we do what you guys do, but just about episodes of SpongeBob SquarePants, which is a brilliant, brilliant show. So and I get awesome. to talk about my love of animation. And we get to talk to, just like you guys, all of the amazing folks who made that show, including voice actors, directors, writers, storyboard artists, you know, and talk about their influences and stuff. And so that's been awesome. Otherwise, you can just check me out 
always geeking out about superheroes and comic book stuff over on YouTube at youtube.com slash heroes reforged, as well as following me online on Twitter and Instagram at Hector is funny, where occasionally I am. <laughs> but not always. Beautiful. <laughs> occasionally Guaranteed. is better than never. But great job. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for having me. Thank you so much, man. This was was therapeutic, and, and um, thanks for keeping me on track, and I didn't full-on burst into tears like I did literally last night at dinner with my girlfriend as I was describing to her what comics I would be talking about today. Like, that <laughs> happened last night at a restaurant. So, <laughs> <I> was just, <laughs> it was real good.